0: we are listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, April the 14th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. And we're kind of going to be finishing a series we have been doing the past six weeks on the churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, seven churches that God speaks through. And today we're going to be taking a look at the church in Laodicea, begins with chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold... I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's the message. And who is giving the message? Well, we've been talking about that all seven messages come from Jesus Christ. And the messages to these churches follow a similar outline. Jesus first says who he's writing to, then he introduces himself, then he often talks about, well, this is what I like about you, then this is what I don't like about you, then repent, and ending up with a promise. Well, the church of Laodicea, was the last church that is written to. Uh, The modern site is in Eskihizar, which means the old fortress, and it's southwestern part of Phrygia. Uh, The city was on a juncture of two important routes. Under the Roman Empire, Laodicea actually became the wealthiest city in Phrygia. And why was that? It has wealth in flocks of sheep, which produced a fine black wool and production of woven garments. So these people were pretty proud of themselves. It was also known for its medical school. And two of its best known medicines were ointments for the eyes and ears now they had an ancient god that they worshiped Menkaru. he was a god of healing and many of them identified him with zeus the supreme greek god so laodicea was also the center of the imperial cult of emperor worship although they did not reach its height until the better part of the second century. So what are we going to say about this message? Well, first of all, it's to the angel of the church in Laodicea, and we've talked about this quite a bit in the past six Wednesdays, either referring to the pastor or maybe a real angel that God has over a guardian over each congregation we're really unsure of that. Uh, I kind of like to think that this is the angel, the messenger of God, which is the pastor. Now, right away, Jesus introduces himself. These things says the amen. That's the very first idea. In the Old Testament, this word amen, and that's how it's pronounced, was used to confirm the acceptance of something or attest to the truthfulness of a statement or action. It's found in Numbers 5, 1 Kings 1, Jeremiah 11. And, you know, we used it many a time in some of the older hymnals at the end of every hymn. We sing in Amen. In Revelation, it appears eight Times and usually is part of an acclamation in doxologies or prayers. The one exception is here in verse 14 of chapter 3, where Jesus calls himself the Amen. In in other words, when Jesus refers to himself as the Amen, this means. That what he is about to attest to is a truthful statement and therefore needs to be listened to. It says, the witness, the faithful and true one, the source of the creation of God. Now, in Greek philosophy, this word for source refers to the original material from which everything has been derived. It's really got the basic sense of primacy, whether in time or in power or in rank. And and therefore, Jesus is the source of everything. We find that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And nothing was made that was not made by the word. And who is this word? We go down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is talking about that he indeed is the amen, that is the true word of God. This identification, by the way, of him being the witness, the faithful, and the true one. Remember, the way to understand Revelation is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Sometimes you find Revelation itself explaining what it means or somewhere in the New Testament or even in the Old Testament. In this case, you go back, to the beginning of the book of Revelation in verse 5, chapter 1. Jesus Christ is called the witness, the faithful one. Therefore, Jesus is the witness to what? Well, to the actions and words of God, and he's faithful and true. It's kind of observational, that every person of the Trinity plays a particular role in the origin of the message. The Father is the prime source of the prophetic message. That's chapter 1, verse 1. The Holy Spirit is the one who moves the hearer to receive the salvation. Remember, at the end of each of the letters, we have a very common sense the one who has an ear, let him listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And Jesus Christ is, in a sense, the writer of the letter to each of the churches, witnessing to the truthfulness and validity of the message as he meditates it to John and to the various churches. Therefore. When Jesus is referred to as the Amen, this is usually said at the end of something. Like you'll say a prayer, then you say Amen. And in this case, though, it's at the beginning of describing who Jesus is. He is the Amen who is speaking with authority. Now, As indicated, the letter also identifies Jesus as the source of God's creation. By the way, this is the only time in the whole New Testament that Jesus is called the first cause or the beginning of creation. Now, he's called the gospel in the gospel of John. He's called the word by which all things were created and he was in the beginning, but he is not called the beginning. In other words, when it's talking about Jesus as the source, it's not quite the same as him being the word. The word is Jesus is the agent of God's creation. Whereas here, He's referred to as the source of everything. And, of course, that's what John says, that nothing was created that was not created by Jesus Christ. So, in Colossians 1.18, Paul calls the resurrected Christ the first source. But here the context is not referring to God's creation But he's the source of what? The holy Christian church. And that's how we need to understand what is being said here in Revelation 3.14. He is that individual by which God's new creation comes into existence and which will continue to exist. Therefore, we're not talking about God's original creation, but his new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. And you can read quite a bit about that in Revelation 21 and 22. So, from the very beginning, Christ has always been the Logos, the Word, by whom God created all things. But now, because of his redeeming work on the cross, he's been given the honor of not only being the word and agent, but also he's the one of the new heaven and the new earth. He's the first. He's the source. For example, when the Bible talks about Jesus being raised from the dead as the first It's not talking chronologically, but it's talking logically that apart from Jesus' resurrection from the dead, nobody else would have been raised from the dead, as Elijah did with the widow's son, or even as Jesus did a number of times, including the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It was all in light of the fact that Jesus is first and foremost the one to be raised from the dead. So what happens here is this particular church is probably one of the most negative messages of the seven churches. There's really nothing that Jesus commends about this church he finds her works neither hot nor cold. Now, what is that? That's the sin of apathy. You see, what was the church living for? As indicated earlier, it was living primarily for earthly wealth and selfish desires. They, They really thought that they were a really good church because they were very rich. Uh, They had acquired riches and thought, boy, I don't have a need of anything. And then Jesus says, but you do not know that you are the wretched one and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. Each of those words remind us of other verses in the Bible. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember, those uh, that's not referring to people who are poor in wealth, but they have nothing to offer God to offset their sins. And they are blessed when they recognize that. These people did not recognize it. They didn't think they had any need for Jesus Christ. And therefore, there's a stinging word of law because the people are neither hot nor cold. In other words, they don't have either anger against sin nor enthusiasm toward God. We've often said this on Law and Gospel, is that the motivation of one who is not a believer is always self-centered. The Lord doesn't tolerate a life of imagined self-sufficiency, which needs no repentance and no forgiveness. In fact, such a state of lukewarmness is like being dead. And that was like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They thought they had an enthusiasm for God, but when you look closely at what they are saying... They had an enthusiasm for their own works. They thanked God they were not like a tax collector. And why? Because they were following the ceremonial laws, none of which forgave sins because these people did not have faith in the true God. They were kind of like being dead. And so they had an apathy towards hearing God's law. They weren't interested in this. And there was nothing here to help them understand it. So what does Jesus advise them? To purchase from me gold, which has been refined by fire, so that you may be wealthy, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and I salve to rub on your eyes so that you may see. Now, being a city in which I salve and healing of the ear was important, what God is using that is saying, but that's not healing you spiritually, and you need gold from me. Well, what's he talking about? Well, remember... Jesus has a gold crown, and he shares that with all believers. And what is this clothing of oneself with a white garment? We talked about that elsewhere, where the Bible refers to that when a person receives the blood of Christ, their garments are white as righteousness. Christians today, from God's point of view, already are wearing white garments and their eyes are able to see. Jesus continues, verse 19, all whom I love, I myself reprove and discipline. Now, see, that's not really found in many other religions. In fact, it's found only in Christianity. In other religions, when God brings consequences of sin or punishment against the people, that's because God is in wrath against them and he is kind of getting even with them. But Jesus makes it very clear here that those he reproves are those that he loves. Now, that's so clear from John three sixteen. For God so loved what, the Christians, the believers? No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, Jesus here is kind of being a John the baptizer because John the baptizer came to proclaim the law. Why? To prepare the people for the coming of Jesus who is bringing the gospel. How does hearing the law, prepare them because the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. If they don't think that they are that much of a sinner, then they're not going to be interested in the forgiveness of sins. That's why the Laodicean church, it appears that nobody is in it who is balanced. They're neither hot nor cold. Now, the next verse is one that has caused some problems. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone should hear my voice and should open the door, then I will enter to be with him and I will dine with him and he with me. Now, the problem with that is that it sounds like Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and you now need to make a decision to open the door. But, the context shows that that's a wrong interpretation. Verse 22 says, the one who has an ear, let him listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So who are those who have an ear to listen to Jesus, to open the door so he can enter to be with them and he will be with me, he says. It is those who have given the ear of faith who now believe in the promises of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Savior. So, Jesus stands at the door of every heart, and the task of the church is the same thing Jesus is doing proclaiming a message of repentance in order that the door will be opened by Jesus himself, and he will be with the believer and will dine with him. Now, is that talking about after Judgment Day? No. It's dining with him while we are still here on earth. It's called the Lord's Supper. Because in the Lord's Supper, remember, the apostles dined with Jesus. Then there's always a promise to those who repent. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, even as I myself have conquered and have sat down with my father on his throne. What's he talking about here? Well, it's talking about his ascension into heaven. In fact, we already know that believers are on thrones. If you go to the next chapter, you will see a fulfillment of God's promise because you see 24 elders are sitting on thrones around the great throne of God. And the throne is just another metaphor like that of a crown, for reigning with Jesus Christ and the Father forever in the new age. The image of the throne of both Jesus and his Father also appears in Revelation 7, verse 17, and Revelation 22, verse 3. It's, it's kind of like you're running a race at the Olympics and you come in last. But Jesus, who comes in first place, gets a crown of gold and he places it on your head when you stand on that platform of the winners. So it's very important to realize that being at the throne of God will not wait until after the day of judgment. It actually occurs while you are a Christian here on earth. That's found in Ephesians, where it talks about that we die with Christ, we are raised with Christ, and Christ is at the right hand of God where we are also. In other words, when we pray to God the Father... The only one it is necessary to go through is Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through a saint or someone else. We have direct contact with Jesus Christ. Because when we become a believer, we are also at the right hand of God. And that's obvious because the Bible says we are part of the body of Christ. Now, who's the head? Jesus is the head. And where the head is, so also is the rest of the body. Now, you may be a hand or a foot or another part of the body, but you have a purpose and God uses you. We often talk about he uses you through your vocation. Your vocation could be a pastor or it could be a teacher, or it could be a parent, or it could be a person at work at an automobile factory. That's your vocation. And I remember when I worked at Chrysler for a while, uh, between years at the seminary, people would come to me and ask me questions of a theological nature, and we would deal with that. Well that's the church at Laodicea. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're gonna give you a surprise about abortion that I was unaware of. So join us tomorrow on Law and Gospel.